knowing your target market and your ideal patient in detail is really helpful because you can speak to the things that motivate them the most, that touch them really deeply and not in a smarmy way, right? It's not like we're trying to manipulate anyone by bringing up the things that matter to them deeply, but we are helping them see that like if they're ready for the potential for their life to be different in this way, we might be a path that they could take to achieve that. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. When I was younger, I had three problems with money. I didn't know how to make it, and so I wasn't very good at making it. And then I decided that rather than get my game together, that money was a bad thing. This was a series of mistakes in perspective that led me down the garden path of righteous and unhelpful attitudes and behaviors around money. I surrounded myself with friends that had bad opinions about money, and the fact that we didn't have much added fuel to the story that money was a bad thing because, after all, we were good people, and so not having money and summarily dismissing those who had it, it kept us in a loop of self-satisfying virtue and a threadbare pocketbook. It's easy to hate on those who have what you don't, and especially when you're not willing to do what it takes to get it. I wasted entirely too much of my life, attention, and emotional energy complaining why it's unfair that I didn't have more of what I wanted but wasn't willing to do what it took to actually change my attitude or circumstances so more cashola would flow my way. There were some hard lessons. And the odd thing is, I did not get this attitude about money from my family. They were all self-employed people that ran businesses. They saw money as a way to have resources to care for themselves and those that they loved. No, I got my idea about money being evil from growing up in relative prosperity. The human mind and heart, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes we squander terrific opportunities laid right at our feet. In the name of individuating, I took a stance of opposition and learned the hard lessons of seeing how wrong I could be. Truth is, I was frightened. Frightened to fail, and one good way to avoid failure and the disappointment that goes with it is not to take aim at what I wanted, to set a high bar and then develop whatever resources or capacity I was lacking to get there. The real failure is not missing the mark. It's not having one. The trouble isn't having plans that don't go the way you expected. It's not risking a vision for what you want. It's easy to complain about the world, and it's easy to find others to join you in that chorus. But is that the song that you want to sing? Running a business will run you straight into all kinds of unresolved issues around money, authority, and your sense of self-worth. And that marketing piece... Mm. Consider it a gong fu class where you're going to find out where you're weak and clumsy. That's not a bad thing. That's the curriculum. That's what you're signing up for when you run a business and be in charge of navigating your own livelihood. In a moment, we're going to get into this with Michelle Grassick. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. 
Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lyle, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Learning to do marketing will not only help you build your business, it will also make you a more clear and concise communicator in your clinical work. Ready to up your game? Let's get into this. 
Michelle Grasick, welcome to Geological. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Happy to have you. We're here to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. Surprising to me how near and dear to my heart it is. Business and marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So business and marketing. Do you have a background in this before coming to Chinese medicine? I do not. And it's surprising to me as well how much I love it, but that is really where it came from, my interest in marketing. I just thought it was fascinating. And so I pursued it. You thought it was fascinating. Yeah. I suspect there are a bunch of people listening to this right now going, fascinating? Is this chick crazy? (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) What was so fascinating about it for you? I really love the idea that you can think about marketing as psychology and data. And I find both of those interesting on their own. Like what motivates people? What makes them sit up and pay attention? And then, of course, with the advent of digital marketing, we have so much data to compare and say, well, this worked well and this didn't. And then use the psychology and say, well, why do I think that was? Like, what was that about? I love that. So you're kind of geeky as well. Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you got started with your practice, what were the first things that you were thinking about in terms of how do I make this thing work? I mean, when I started my practice, it was was back in 1998. Very nice. I can safely say it was in the last century, (laughs) which is a weird thing to say. Back then, we had things like the yellow pages. The internet was just beginning. Yep. People did things like brochures. Mm-hmm. And they'd go talk to their local Kiwanis club and, you know, and things like that. When you first got started, what were the tools available to you and, and what drew you to the tools that you saw? So when I first got started, it was about 12 years ago. And I do feel like social media marketing was kind of in its infancy. So I don't know if I thought about that too much. I mean, my first thoughts at that time were, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Good place to start. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I got very lucky and I met a woman who wanted to do a trade with me for marketing advice and cosmetic acupuncture. And we did that trade for three years. It's kind of a funny story. I didn't know what kind of marketing to do. And I had opened my practice in a place about an hour from where I lived. So I had no connections in that city at all. You opened a practice an hour away from where you live. Yeah. All right. What's up with that? I was still living with my parents at the time. I think I was 25. Mm. And I kind of wanted to open a practice in a city with a larger population. So I grew up in a really small town. I think there's like 4,000 people there. So I went to a nearby city and I was on Craigslist and there was a place, a spa that was looking for an acupuncturist. And I was like, done. That's it. Okay. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I hear things like that and it's like, okay, that's interesting. Hour away. What's behind that? Okay. Fair enough. You found a place on Craigslist. Yeah. So lots of mistakes were made. (laughs) I don't know if I would recommend that approach. Looking back, it feels a little bit careless, right? Maybe not enough research into like all the options that were available, but it seemed like a good fit and I just went for it. How is it careless? Uh, I tend to be a researcher. Like I want to do that deep dive. I want to know all the options Uh. 
before I make a decision. Okay. And this was kind of like the first place that I saw and they were like, yeah, we'll take you. So I was like, okay. And so you went with your gut. Mm-hmm. Did it work? It did actually. It I think did. it worked. Okay. How long was I there for? Two years? Uh-huh. Yeah. Got you started. And so the first thing that I did, the first thing that came to my mind at that point for getting my practice visible was Groupon. Yeah. Which I don't recommend. <laughs> well, okay. What year is this again? This would be 2011. Okay. I did Groupon in probably 10 or 11. It was a, so it was the early days of Groupon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it was groovy and cool and it was funny. I mean, they wrote really funny copy. They did. They reeled you in. Yeah. I mean, it was before they became kind of what they are now. The early days of Groupon were really hot. I'd say that first year, year and a half, mm -hmm. it was cool to be on Groupon. Yes. Yeah. So that's when you were on it. Yes. And I couldn't recommend it at the time because I think I calculated that after giving Groupon their cut, I was making like $14 a patient. And I had sold a hundred, a hundred appointments. Yeah. And so in the beginning, that's very exciting and your clinic is filled. And then like three months later, when those people are still moving through, you're like, oh shoot, like three of the people on my schedule today are only $14 patients. Like it was a little rough. Yeah. And I suspect they're the kind of patients, they just paid bottom dollar and they want top-notch service. Like give me everything. Yes. But I'm not paying you nothing. And they had no intention of continuing with me, they were coupon hoppers. Right. That was also very popular at that time was for people to cherry pick from Groupons from different people so they never had to pay full price for a service for as long as it lasted. Did any of them turn into regular paying clients? I would say a few did, at least. And the woman who became my marketing mentor, I actually met her through a Groupon. So she came to her two sessions. And at the end, she was like, so I really love this cosmetic acupuncture stuff. And I want to keep coming, but I don't want to pay. This was our conversation. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm like blown away. I'm like, oh, in my mind, like, I don't even have an answer for that. Like, what am I supposed to say to that? It's not going to work out if you don't want to pay. Yeah, right. The door's over here. Oh, you don't want to pay? The door's over there. And so... I was kind of like, tell me more. Uh, and she said she wanted to do a trade. And so that is really how that started. And so I felt very lucky to have tried Groupon and found this incredibly wonderful person who has so much passion and enthusiasm for marketing. She made it really fun. And as I said, we did that trade for three years. So I learned so much from her. And that was that was really the start of my interest in marketing as that intersection of psychology and data. Yeah. So that's interesting, isn't it? You do this Groupon thing. Oh man, deep discounts are not a great way to build your business. It just, it does not bring you at all the people that you really want to see. Right. Yeah. Because you're right. The coupon hoppers. It's like, I'm here for cheap. How cheap can I get it? Yeah. And yet through this, you meet somebody and, and that works out in incredibly surprising ways. So mm -hmm. I found it at the beginning of anything, as difficult as it is, it's often helpful to say yes to almost everything. Oh, agree. And, and then at a certain point, you have to start saying no. Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes it's like, why do you have to say a lot of yes? Because you never know when you're going to meet marketing maven who ramps you up to the next level. Right. Yeah. It'd be nice if it was easier than that, but it's like panning for gold. Yes. You know, you're throwing out a lot of rocks. Yeah. Because you never know what is going to be magic. Some things will and some things won't. You have to be open. True. But you've got some experience now. Mm -hmm. Would you say that there are some fundamentals that everybody should know about? I get it, especially with acupuncture. Everybody's looking to create a different kind of practice that reflects them. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know that's what you're going to do, that is what you're going to do. It, it's such a, a personalized medicine. Yes. We really do create individual practices that are a reflection of us. But I suspect that there are some underlying fundamentals that regardless of how you work or who you are, you might want to pay attention to. Sure, yeah. You mean from a, a marketing perspective, like marketing basics? From a marketing perspective, yeah. Yeah. So I always like to teach my students in the beginning about the idea of touch points in marketing. Mm. And I think it's really helpful for us as acupuncturists because it has to do with repetition of your marketing message and how many of us are often uncomfortable with that, but how necessary it is. So a touch point is any reminder about you, your brand, about acupuncture, about your practice, its location, et cetera, any reminder at all. And most people need five to seven touch points on average before they're ready to make a commitment, right? Like mm -hmm. they're ready to make a financial commitment, make an appointment. But that means that repetition is necessary for effective marketing, that we do have to keep showing up over and over again to put our message in front of people often enough that they learn to trust us and then decide to make an appointment. And so I think that's really helpful for our profession because many of us feel like it's hard to get visible and it feels weird to have to say the same thing over and over. But that's when you know you're doing it right. Interesting. That's when it gets effective. Well, and a lot of us don't like to put ourselves out and talk to people. Sure, yeah. You know, I want to do this, but don't look too closely at me. Yes. So what about those folks? I mean, how do folks get over that or are there ways of taking this, I like this uh, touch points idea, these different ways of, of touch points. Does it have to be the same touch point every time? Is it like you're blasting with newsletters or are you using different kinds of media or how do you serve this up so that you're reaching people in this way? Same message, different sources maybe. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it can be a variety of different sources. Some of your audience is going to only follow you on Instagram. Some of them will be on your Facebook, on your email list. And I think it is a really good idea to share a lot of the same messages across all those different platforms because it's very reinforcing. And we often assume that, oh, people don't want to hear that. Like I already talked about, you know, acupuncture for digestion on my email newsletter. I have to come up with something different for all these different platforms when that's really not the case. You can share that same message across all the platforms. Yeah. Well, and even if you did share it in your newsletter, and even if people read it, mm -hmm. they'll probably have forgotten it by tomorrow at this time. Yep. So having that reminder is helpful. And that's why we need multiple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, it's easier. I mean, if you make one bit of content, and then you share it on your newsletter, and share it on your website, and maybe in a blog, and then on your Instagram, and then, I don't know, 
do you do like postcard marketing? Do you do anything like that where you like do mailers out to people or what are your favorite methods for getting the message out? Oh, I have lots. I mean, I love all kinds of marketing. So I would say that email newsletters, Instagram, those are probably my favorite that I do the most regularly. I can really relate to what you said about that difficulty with getting visible of wanting to sort of be like, this is helpful, but don't look directly at me because I am such an introvert. I do make myself go to networking events. I think that they are actually super helpful, but I find them a little difficult as an introvert. So I would put networking events as like, they're some of my favorite because they're effective, not because I deeply enjoy them. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> effective. Yeah, I think so. At least, I mean, I live in a, a pretty small town. There's 9,000 people here. I have since opened up a new practice in a new location, so I'm not in that big city that we talked about earlier anymore. But I find that it's really helpful to speak to those people in person so that they trust me almost immediately. Okay, I want to know your secret sauce for that because I don't do them anymore. I'm lucky I've got a practice that I don't have to do that. But I've done that in the past, and I don't like going to these. And I do the best I can, and I can tell you exactly how many patients I've gotten from all the networking efforts I've done over all the years. Guess how many I've gotten? Zero. Zero. Oh, God. <laughs> Zero. That's wild. And I'm kind of introverted, but I can still chat with people. And yeah. I'd, I'd go there, and I'd make sure I chatted people up and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Never. So I'm curious to know what your secret sauce is. Because if I had four, that'd be 400% better than what I did. <laughs> I think for me, it's just repetition. Like I just keep showing up in front of those same people over and over again. And I don't know if it's because cosmetic acupuncture is my specialty, which is kind of a new concept. Mm. And it really fascinates people. I find that people ask me about it at these networking meetings all the time. Mm-hmm. I would say I don't know if I'm doing anything special at those networking meetings except for showing up, committing to showing up. I also bring my office manager with me because I won't go if I have to go alone. I don't think anyone should ever go to a networking meeting by themselves. I will make up the most extravagant or really lame excuses to be like, you know, I can't go to that networking meeting that I responded yes to tonight because I have to like wash my hair. I just can't make it. But when I bring her with me, it's then of course someone is expecting me to be there. And it's kind of like a double whammy. Like she circulates and talks about the practice while I'm doing the same thing on the other side of the room. I love it. Yeah. I never thought of taking a buddy along. Mm -hmm. It helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just another practitioner or someone, you're there, you're kind of supporting each other. You know you're in the room. You're not alone in the room. That is a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I wonder... If the networking group itself makes a difference, I belong to two different local groups. And one, they always ask you to do some sort of public speaking, like even just a snippet. Mm. So they'll do like a round robin where everyone who is in attendance gets 10 seconds to share an update on what's happening with their business. And so it's kind of like this forced visibility mm. for this part of the meeting. So people who like have never had the opportunity to meet you, 
they get to hear your business announced. They hear your name and then you just stand up and you say like two sentences like this is an event we have at Seneca Falls Acupuncture. This is how you register. And then you sit down. So I think that is terrifying every time, but very effective. So maybe it depends on the networking groups as well. Are they cultivating, kind of like pushing people's boundaries a little? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. But of course, most of us don't go to networking groups. These, I mean, maybe some people do, mm -hmm. but I suspect most of us are working that internet world Yeah. to bring in the money to fill the rice bowl. One suggestion that I usually have for people who dislike the visibility, like as an individual, as the face of their business, is to try to think about shining the light on acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Instead of feeling like you have to say, you know, I have this experience and I can help you. Like I can definitely help you because we have a hard time saying that, right? And nothing is ever definite, of course. But making those bold statements feels kind of scary in our marketing or in person. Try to reframe it from your experience saying, you know, I have helped people with this kind of headache in the past, or I've helped people go from X to Z, right? Like from what they were experiencing before to describing mm -hmm. how it reduced their symptoms. Then you're just talking about how incredible acupuncture is. And people are fascinated by that. And we all love that. Yeah. And we can talk about acupuncture. Yes. And how great it is until the cows come home. We have no problem talking about acupuncture. But ask us about us. Oh, well, I have to go wash my hair. I don't have hair, but I got to go wash it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Keep the focus on acupuncture. Keep the focus. Well, and this is often, I hear this from a lot of people that I respect about marketing. They talk about speaking to the person that you're looking to serve. Mm-hmm and sharing with them the information that is useful to them. Yes. People show up and buy things because what's in it for me? For sure. So show up and tell them about what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. And we can do that pretty easily. And I think it when you are putting together that marketing message, it helps a lot to know who you're speaking to specifically, mm. right? So I talk to my marketing students all the time about how target market and identifying your ideal patient are a lot more than just theoretical exercises that they have an application in your marketing because once you have identified your ideal patient, right? Like you can describe them in detail. You make them real to you. Mm -hmm. Then you can think about all of your marketing as speaking to that person and answering their questions. And it could be a real person, maybe like a favorite patient, or it could be an imaginary patient, or some amalgamation of the two. But I find that super helpful. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, 
where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who have brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. That makes sense. It's like doing public speaking. If you attempt to speak to everybody in the group, Mm -hmm. your mouth will open and nothing will come out. But if you can make eye contact with someone and say something and then make eye contact with somebody and say something and then make eye contact and say something, you actually might have a lot to say because you're speaking to a person. Yes. Yeah. You just used the term marketing message. Mm -hmm. And again, I I suspect many people listening to this hear those words and go, marketing message. It's like, okay, what kind of schmarmy stuff are you going to lay on people here? What is a marketing message? Or the other thing I think is, oh my God, am I doing it right? What even goes into a marketing message? Right. What is a marketing message? Great questions. Yeah. Very, very common questions. Great. I really wish this was something that was addressed in acupuncture school. Some of the more foundational aspects of like, Marketing 101. Yeah. Well, good thing it wasn't because now you got a business. So true. (laughs) So a marketing message is really the big picture that you want to share with people who you want to be your patients. You want to think about where they are now and what their struggle is and where they would like to be after those symptoms are eliminated. Okay. And a lot of times we think about this in really simple terms. My patient is in pain. And where they would like to be is not in pain. And so that's not a bad start, right? If you wanted to structure your marketing message around that, you could begin there. You could also take a deep dive and say, what would elimination of those symptoms change in that person's life? What would it allow them to do or be? And at the end of the day, most of us would arrive at the marketing message that what we're offering makes people's lives better, right? It gives them freedom. It allows them to live their best life, to be the best version of themselves. And that is actually very compelling in terms of a marketing message. More than just, I want to help you get rid of back pain, but why? Right. What will they be able to achieve or do or be when that pain is eliminated from their life and they have that freedom? Yeah, they can ride bicycles with their kids again. Yes, they can walk around Disney World with their grandkids. Right. They can garden, all those things that they love. And so that's when knowing your target market and your ideal patient in detail is really helpful because you can speak to the things that motivate them the most, that touch them really deeply and not in a smarmy way, right? It's not like we're trying to manipulate anyone by bringing up the things that matter to them deeply. But we are helping them see that like, if they're ready for the potential for their life to be different in this way, we might be a path that they could take to achieve that. Yes. So this brings me up to a word that I think many of us trip over Mm -hmm. and don't get back up. Manipulate. Yeah. All right. Many of us think that marketing is about manipulation. So what do you have to say about that? Because we are grabbing people's attention. Mm -hmm. We are focusing their attention, right? If you bring up a pain point and then you talk about all the ways that the pain point is getting in the way, 
oh man, this person really understands me. They understand my pain. And then you talk about how their life could look without that pain. Oh man, I get to go to Disney World with my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Okay. You could see this as very effective manipulation of a person's attention. I always think of it in terms of when you're marketing, you're selling something, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the question at the end of the day is, are you being honest or misleading with your message? Mm-hmm. Which I really can't think of any acupuncturists who I've never seen marketing where acupuncturists go down that path. And do we believe in what we're selling? Mm-hmm. And I also know it's really hard for us as acupuncturists to commit to the idea of selling anything, right? Instantly, I feel resistance <laughs> from people who are listening. It's so funny. And I've had it myself over the years, that somehow selling is a bad thing. But then I think about if you're going to go out on a date with somebody, right? You like do your hair and you make sure your teeth are brushed. You put on some nice clothes. What are you selling? You're selling you. Right. Hey, I'm an interesting person. Maybe I want to find out if you're an interesting person. Right. Give me the chance. Give me the chance. Put your best foot forward so you have their attention. I think we sell all the time. Yes. Yeah. But I would say that, you know, if you really believe in whatever you're marketing and you take a reasonable approach to the, quote, promises that you make or don't make, I don't think it's manipulating, right? If you were to say, if you have back pain, I can get rid of it in two treatments, guaranteed, your life will be different. You'll go to the moon, right? Like promise things that are unreasonable or that, you know, like everyone is different. You never know, like, can I fix them in this number of treatments or not? I think that as long as you are honest with your message, it's not manipulating because the audience can always decide if they want to pursue what you're offering based on the information that you've given them, right? Like they can have their own healthy brand of skepticism. So the piece about are we being honest or are we being misleading? At least for me, when I think of sales and marketing that I've got a bad opinion about, Mm -hmm. it's that I've been misled. Sure, yeah. I've been misled. Or somebody has been pushing something at me that I'm not interested in. That's just thoroughly annoying. Mm -hmm. Right? You're eating dinner. Well, it doesn't happen anymore because now the phones say spam risk and you don't answer it. But in the bad old days before cell phones, people call you at dinner time. It's like, would you like to know about a vacation? It's like, no, I'm having dinner with my family. Fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Is this a good time? No. <laughs> you know it's not a good time. You know what time it is. Exactly. So I think about really bad types of marketing, but really good marketing, my suspicion is it feels like someone who cares and is out to help you. Yeah. Really good marketing, I think, is just sharing information with the people who need it, which is kind of what you touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. And I will say that what you just expressed is probably one of the number one things that my students like to bring up to me, that feeling that they are pushing something on someone who doesn't want it. And then I'm asking them to repeat their message. That's where the pushing feeling comes from, right? They're like, well, I said it once and they didn't make an appointment. So it's really hard to say it again. So I totally understand that. But I think that what we're imagining when our brain goes straight to that pushy feeling is those used car salesman commercials 
right? Or just we instantly think of the most obnoxious marketing we've ever experienced. And we're like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, Of course not. Of course not. I would argue that if a person is already sensitive to that idea, you have an awareness that there's the kind of marketing that feels gross and you don't want to participate, then it's really unlikely that you're even going to be able to produce marketing that comes across in that way because you are paying attention. I find that most acupuncturists have such a like soft kind of subtle marketing almost to the point where it's not as effective as it could be. But just the chances of it irritating people are so, so low. So I think I wish we could all take a step back from that idea that we are instantly going to produce obnoxious marketing if we do anything. Right. Because I think that's just not the case. Yeah, I totally agree. It's funny, maybe not funny, but certainly curious that our minds go to the worst possible scenario. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. Okay, fine. Good. You don't want to be that jerk. Do you even know what good marketing feels like? And my suspicion is many of us, we don't know what good marketing feels like because it almost feels like nothing. Yes. We just had a really pleasant conversation with somebody who was helpful and seemed to care about us. Yes. What, that's marketing? Can be. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it well. Absolutely. Yeah. I got a new friend. Yeah, I met this new friend the other day. That's what it feels like. So... I'm wondering if there's a way that you can talk about some of the things that go into that really good marketing or what it might sound like or what it might feel like. Because I think a lot of us don't even know how to recognize marketing done well. I think marketing that is storytelling mm. is probably the most successful at flying under the radar and not even being recognized as marketing. Mm -hmm. And... I also think it's helpful to consider like how you can just answer people's questions, provide information and value, provide solutions. Mm -hmm. That's also tends to be marketing that is not really noticed as marketing because it is genuinely helpful. And maybe it's the first step of an answer and the progression of that if your audience were to follow that, they would end up on your website and get to see how to make an appointment, that sort of thing. But you can begin in this really generous place where someone approaches you with knee pain and you just have the conversation about like, oh, here's things you could do at home or are you stretching, blah, blah, blah. And they just understand that you're knowledgeable and like you said, interested in being helpful. Mm -hmm. So being interested in being helpful, mm -hmm. sharing your knowledge, helping people out because we like to help people out. These are also part of those touch points that you were talking about, yes? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep that conversation going in some way, shape, or form across maybe different kinds of media in person or online or something five to seven times, now maybe people are thinking acupuncture and our name comes up right along next to it. Yes, yeah. Which kind of begs the question that eventually don't we as individuals have to be in our marketing or do we, or do we not like our face? Should we talk about ourselves? That kind of thing. What do you think? I am definitely a proponent of inserting yourself into your marketing at least a little bit because I think that at the end of the day, marketing is about building enough, enough trust in your audience 
that they are willing to take what to them might feel like a financial risk. It is a financial risk. Right. Or the risk of having needles put in them if they're just unfamiliar with acupuncture. Not to mention the risk of what if their family members find out they're doing acupuncture? Like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, there's all kinds of risks people take. Right. Yeah. So building up enough trust that they decide that they want to do that, that's what we're going for. And if you, as the person who's going to be putting needles in them, can show up a little bit and help them, even just give them an inch, let them experience what you are like so they can decide do I trust this person with my personal health information, with my story and my background, and to put sharp objects in me? It speeds up the trust process a lot if they know who's going to be the person that they're interacting with. Yes, I completely agree. I really agree. In fact, this was some years ago. I had some kind of epiphany. You just spoke it very clearly. You have to put yourself in your marketing. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that to myself at the time. I just thought, I want people to know who I am so they've got a sense of, of what they might be getting into so the wrong people don't call me right. and end up disappointed. Yeah, that happens as well. It happens all the time. And so what I ended up doing was taking the bio that I had on my website that was written in third person. Michael Max went to this school and did this and blah, 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 blah. And instead I said, hi, I'm Michael Max and this is what you can expect from working with me. Yes. And then I've got a couple of paragraphs of, you're either going to like me or hate me by the time you get done reading this. That's wonderful. I recommend that. I recommend it too. I think writing our bio in first person, even if you don't publish it, if you just do it as an exercise so you know who you are, yeah. then when people ask you about who you are, you can tell them. Yes. Because you know. And you know it in three paragraphs. And I think the more open we're willing to be and you know just showing up as ourselves in our marketing in whatever capacity is comfortable for us i think that really allows the right patients to it's like they're self selecting into what you are offering and then the ones who don't resonate with what you're sharing or even the way that you phrase things they're going to opt out and then, as you said, you'll end up with people at your clinic who are such a good fit for you and the way you practice the medicine and your outlook, the advice you're willing to give them. I think that's really a great way to create a happy practice as well, because then you're filling it with people who they share that energy with you. Yes. And that can be done. That's a marketing thing. Well, and like you said, insert yourself into your marketing. Mm -hmm. How else can people insert themselves into their marketing? I mean, social media is a big popular way to do that, right? If you're really into it, you can create reels, right? Or videos. I feel people rolling their eyeballs. I feel you. Okay. Well, I mean, tell us about this. With those, the Instagram reels. So, Geological has a Instagram feed, but the truth is I don't know anything about it because I have someone brilliant helping me with that. Amazing. <laughs> well... You know, use your expertise where your where your expertise is. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I hear things about reels and videos and this and that, but what does that really mean? I mean, from the point of view, let me ask this from two perspectives. As a practitioner with a clinic and I want to fill up some spots, mm -hmm. what does it mean to me to, to do reels and videos and how are they even different? And from the perspective of a potential patient, why would they want to spend time watching that? Full disclosure, I don't know why 
any of us watch reels or do TikTok <laughs> except for <laughs> I have such a love-hate relationship with social media, uh -huh. even as a marketer. But I mean, like, why do I want to watch strangers dance on TikTok? It's a hard pass for me. But it's like the shot of endorphins that social media and those short video clips give us. I think that's why we are addicted to watching reel after reel on Instagram or video after video on TikTok. So I think that for us as practitioners, when we're thinking about how can I use Instagram, for example, to get more patience, it is, again, going back to sharing knowledge, right? Letting people understand how acupuncture can help them and then just letting them know that your practice exists in their community for whenever they're ready. And so if you have a specialty, I usually encourage people to teach some basic things. Like think about what are the things you're always teaching your fertility patients, for example, or what are the questions that they're always asking you? And then answer them in a really short format on video. So the difference between reels and video on Instagram is it can be longer and you can just sort of like sit in front of the camera and talk or you could record anything, right? Reels is 60 seconds or less and they can be highly edited. People usually add music. They do all these little clips put together and you can put text on top. Reels are really encouraged right now because Instagram, the algorithm prioritizes them. The algorithm loves it. Yeah. So people who are looking to get in front of new people, reels are the way to go. But I wouldn't say like, are reels really the best way to like teach your audience something deep about acupuncture? Probably not, but it's just, that's what Instagram cares about. And that's the content that people are consuming. So you are sort of like choosing to meet the monster where it's at, focus on reels so that you can get in front of a wider audience in your local community. Okay. So you just said a word that to me is super, super important. Local community. Mm -hmm. Thing about Instagram, Facebook, you know, a lot of the social media, it's intergalactic, right? Yeah. Goes everywhere. But we don't care about everywhere. In fact, we probably don't care about anything that's outside of the sphere of 50 miles from our clinic. And, and 20 is probably even better. Mm -hmm. So the reach of social media is vast. How do you use it to target it toward the people that are local in your area? Because those are really the only people that count in terms of making your phone ring. Yes, absolutely. Is there a way to do that? Or how do you work with that? I usually recommend focusing on local hashtags. Uh-huh. And that is a great way to get in front of people who are following those hashtags. I mean, there are lots of methods. So one that's Instagram specific is taking a look at other small business owners in your area who have the kind of followers who would be great to be your patients. So I always think of yoga studios, mm. chiropractors, nutritionists, people who are local. And then you can reach out to them and ask how you might collaborate so that you get in front of their audience and then their people have a chance to follow you and they didn't know you existed before, but now you're on their radar. Or you can even take a look and like scroll through their followers and see, are they a good fit? Are they actually local? And then there are strategies that you can do to interact with those people just so they know that you're 
account exists. And they don't have to be sketchy strategies either. For example, how would you do that? What's the strategy? So I have a virtual assistant who's like a, she's a social media manager, basically. And so one of her jobs is to find local people on Instagram. And we have a little formula. And I did not come up with this. It was many years ago. And I can't remember where I learned it, unfortunately. But you like five of their posts and comment once or twice. But a genuine comment which is actually very easy because if you think about the average person on Instagram there, if they're not on there for a business, they're posting things like their pets, their food, sunsets, landscapes. So it's really easy to genuinely leave a comment that says, your dog is adorable. I love that bow tie. Mm -hmm. Or like that food looks delicious. And all you're doing is putting your account on their radar. Because next time they open up Instagram, they'll get all these little notifications, seven in a row, that are just like, oh, Seneca Falls Acupuncture likes your posts and thinks your dog is cute. And they'll most likely be like, huh, I wonder who this is. And then they'll visit your account and they could say like, "Mm, I'm not really interested in this or wow, this looks cool. I'm going to follow them. Mm -hmm. So that's the method that we use that is really effective. That makes a lot of sense. And to me, it makes a lot of sense because I have seen comments or I get emails like, I read your blog and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you didn't read my blog. You're selling me shit. It's so obvious. (laughs) It's so fantastic. Yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah, it's really obvious when people are not authentic about it. Yeah. But by the same token, if somebody does do what you just did, they comment on something specific. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa. That person's paying attention. It stands out. Yeah. And my VA and I, we did have to have a discussion about her kind of learning what kind of comments would I genuinely leave because she is commenting on my behalf, right? It looks like it's coming from me as an individual, as my practice. Yes. And, you know, like tone of voice and always aiming for something positive. And these are the kind of things that we comment. These are the kinds of things we definitely don't comment. But it was pretty easy. Like once we had that conversation, she's good to go. And I do this alongside with her. We both have access to the Instagram account. So we could both be on there at the same time doing this. Mm -hmm. But it's so enormously helpful to have someone else also thinking about this because it's legwork, really. And it's most practitioners don't have 25 minutes a day to dedicate. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe they do. Or maybe they do. Maybe they do. Well, that's true. Well, let's think about this for a second. All y'all out there, I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> How much time do you spend just kind of mindlessly scrolling through things because your brain is on hold for a moment because you're tired or you're at the grocery store or whatever, you're distracted, and now you're distracting yourself with a mindless look through Instagram. You don't have to do a mindless look through Instagram. You could go through and do a little prospecting instead. I love that, prospecting. Yeah, let's go prospecting. You're looking anyway, like look at interesting stuff. Yeah. Look at people that you might want to connect with instead of just looking at cute cats, as much as cute cats are fun to look at. Maybe you'll get lucky and there will be local business owners who also have cute cats. We have one down the street. The intersection of all the wonderful things. We've got a little cat bar down the street. (laughs) That's amazing. I know, it's crazy. 
So back to the local thing, mm-hmm. it would be just hashtag word local. I'm showing you what an idiot I am. Would it be hashtag word local? Is like hashtag your zip code or hashtag name your city or what do you do to localize a hashtag? And are people actually searching for localized hashtags? Again, I'm showing my ignorance here. Help me out. Yeah, absolutely. I always recommend start with hashtag your, like the name of your town or your city. If you're in a really large city, then it would probably be more like your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There is a section on Instagram, like a search feature, and you can search by account or keyword or hashtag. So I recommend start with the name of your town and put it in. So I'm in Seneca Falls, New York. So I put that in the hashtag search. And what it will do is bring up others that are similar or relevant. And so then you can sort of scroll through and it will also show you how often those hashtags are used, how popular they are. Oh, wow. Okay. I recommend trying not to pick the ones that are like over 100,000. And again, this depends. If you're in a really large city where there's like just a lot of people using that hashtag, it might be you'd have to look for some that are larger because there's not as many options, Mm -hmm. right? But you want to choose something where your post, when you use that hashtag, isn't going to drown in 40,000 other hashtags. Does that make sense? Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. It totally makes sense. So I would not use St. Louis. I would use Kirkwood. Yes. Yeah. Which is the the neighborhood I live in. And then once you start searching for those, you'll probably stumble across some like small to medium size hashtags that are actually very popular and active. For example, there's a town next door to me, Scanny Atlas. And I was using Scanny Atlas New York as a hashtag for the longest time. And one day I was like, this was a little while ago. I need to dig in and do this search. I need to do some research. And I discovered that Scanny Atlas Lake and Scanny Atlas Life are actually the most popular hashtags that people are using on a regular basis. And so I shifted to those instead. And you had also asked, do people actually follow those? Do they follow local hashtags? They do because if they're interested in knowing like what's going on in town, they can choose to follow the Scanny Atlas Life hashtag 
And anyone who's using it will pop up and they can see, are there events happening? What are people doing? Is anybody on the lake today? Those kinds of things. So if they're interested, they will follow. And those are the people you want. You want the ones who are interested. That's right. Yeah. They're local. They're active. They're interested. And they're using the social media to kind of provide a directory for their life in a way. Yeah. Right? Like, what's up? I don't know. Well, let's see what's on Instagram. Oh, look. They're having a sailboat race down there. Let's go look at that. Yeah. Right? Like, where's that food truck today? Can we find it? Yeah. Is that acupuncture still around? Let's just look at acupuncture. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really helpful. I usually just look at social media and my eyes cross. So I'm starting to get it. And I can see that there really could be a gold mine in there, especially this bit about prospecting, looking to see who's in your area and what they do. If you generally feel like you have a connection with them, yeah. of course, you're going to go stalk them on their website and see what they're really about and check them out. And yeah, you could connect up and maybe help each other with business. I remember early on when I was practicing, the big thing was to walk around the neighborhood in person introduce yourself, maybe try to build a referral network. And, oh man, had this been around back then, I wouldn't have had to walk around my neighborhood. I would have never left my office probably, but I could virtually go through and, and make connections with people. I absolutely recommend using social media to make connections with other small business owners and mm -hmm. ask how you can support them in their community and how you can work together. Some of the best and most surprising collaborations that I've done locally are from people that I met on Instagram. And we were finally like, we have got to meet in person. I love what you're doing. And how can we bring our audiences together? Like, where do our audience interests cross? So we can help each other and ourselves. Yes. Yeah, coalitions. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. I'm looking at social media a little bit differently. It's a little bit mind-blowing. I've always used my website to attract patients, mm -hmm. partly because when I started doing my practice here in St. Louis, we didn't really have social media. We had websites. So I, I right. completely doubled down on my website. But that was a while ago, and it sounds like social media might be the new kid on the block. What do you think about websites and how we use our websites and what's a good way to use our website? I love this question. I think websites are still incredibly important. I always imagine my website as the digital presence that backs up my in-person presence or vice versa, right? So if people meet me first in person, I want them to be able to land on my website and feel I want them to be able to learn a lot about me and I want them to have the feeling of what it would be like to come to my office, kind of like be enveloped in that feeling. And the way that I recommend, and I wish everyone would do this, to use your website is to combine it with the power of social media. Are you familiar with the idea of a lead magnet? I was on your website earlier today. You have one. You have a lead magnet on your website. I have a lead magnet. What's my lead magnet? You do. What's my lead magnet? What am I leading with? What am I offering? Your lead magnet is you are asking people to opt into your email newsletter and you are offering them a group of, I think it's recipes and lifestyle tips. Maybe it's also acupressure. 
I don't think so. No. Wait, no, I think I'm offering them the Midwesterner's Guide to Acupuncture. Now you're going to go and look in live time, aren't you? I think it would take me too long to find your website again. I closed it. I'm trying to remember what it is. No, I think it is. I made a comic book. But I could tell that you had uh, like this extra download that you're offering people who opt into your website, right? I want their email address. Yes, it's an incentive to share their email address. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I did it for that reason. And I also did it because I want people to know about acupuncture. Yeah. And I want to be helpful and I want to create something that might be just remarkable enough that people will gossip about it in real time to their friends. Is that not all that marketing is? Helpful, super valuable, interesting enough that people want to talk about it and share it. I love that. I like to think of it as gossip worthy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the lead magnet is a really brilliant way to build your email list. And you can direct people to your lead magnet, to whatever cool, fun, informational thing that you're offering on your website. You direct them towards it from social media. So social media puts you in front of new people who discover you. Mm -hmm. And your call to action is download this PDF or this acupuncture comic book or whatever it is. Download it on my website. Then they're added to your email list, which of course you send your regular email newsletter so that they, you're getting in all those touch points. I used to do it once a month. It's tough. No, no. I used to do it once a month until my practice reached a certain critical mass mm-hmm. and then I didn't need to. Yeah. But before it does, I'm totally with you, Michelle, on this repetition, 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 repetition. And do I, do I need to repeat that? They would get a newsletter once a month. Mm -hmm. So that's my favorite way to leverage your website is to send people to your website from social media and make sure you have an enticing opt-in on the homepage so that people share their email and then you can continue marketing to them through email channels. You know, this was such a hard thing for me to do in the beginning. Sure, yeah. To put that on there because it's one of these little pop-up things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come up right away. It does not come up right away. Yeah. Those websites where you're on the website, you're on for like three seconds, then they pop up. Would you like our email list? It's like, I don't even know who the hell you are. Right. <laughs> Often I just leave those websites. Yeah. But mine comes up, I think, after 30 seconds or maybe 45 seconds. It's like if you're here and hanging a bit. Right. It just came up. So it's about 40 seconds, I think. Perfect. Some people will also set them up as exit pop-ups, so as the person's preparing to leave. So it lets them do their scrolling and their reading, and then as they move their mouse towards the little X, Uh it pops up. Oh, are you sure you want to go? Oh, before you go. Wait a minute. (laughs) Would you like a cookie? (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's a a difference between having a pop-up that just says, join my newsletter, which is really vague. And doesn't describe... It's schmarmy. Why would I join your newsletter? Right. Like you said, I don't know you yet. Yeah. I have so much email in my inbox to begin with. What are you going to send me? When you have a lead magnet and you can tell people, this is the content, this is inside the PDF ebook I want to share with you, then they can decide like, oh yeah, that I want. So that helps improve opt-in rate enormously Yes. compared to just the generic newsletter invitation. And we're being helpful. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing that I love. We're being helpful and getting an email address. 
So what are a few things? We just talked about a whole lot of things that are great to do and really helpful to do. And, and I love the piece about repetition. And I've been guilty of, well, I told them once and they didn't say anything. So I guess they're not interested. I'm, I've been so guilty of that. So I hear you say, well, I told them once and I'm like, ha, 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 ha. they didn't hear you. <laughs> you told him how many times you told him once <laughs> that's hilarious that's what i say to myself when i'm three four five eight times into saying something to someone right yeah <laughs> and then sometimes i'll be like oh i hadn't thought of that that's a good idea <laughs> I told you eight times <laughs> yeah and it's not even did they hear you or were they paying attention but were they ready for it well that's why they don't hear it yeah. You don't hear it if you're not ready. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times have you looked through a book on acupuncture that you read years ago and now you're rereading it, you've got more experience, you're in the right space and you read something and you go, oh my God, I see it. Yes. I see how that works. Gallbladder 34, I'd never noticed that about it. <gasps> right. And your life is different because you are in a different place and you're receptive in a way that you weren't before. I love that. It means that your acupuncture textbooks will never become stale, right? It's a beautiful thing. You always return to them. If your acupuncture textbooks are stale, it means you are stale. Right. Yeah. I think that's what that means. So we've talked about a lot of great stuff. Mm -hmm. What are a few things that our listeners should avoid doing? What are like some anti-marketing things that would be a good idea not to do? That's a really good question. I don't know if anyone has ever asked me that before. I can think of the marketing that makes us uncomfortable, right? The stuff that's pushy, mm. the car salesman kind of thing. But I feel like that's kind of obvious, right? Like you don't want to come across as if you're pushing something on people who don't want it. Let me think for a second. Think for a second. Yeah. I teach a ethics of marketing class online. And one thing that we talk about is not using fear-based marketing. And I think it's very rare for most healthcare practitioners because it feels yucky to us. But fear-based marketing is essentially when you convince your audience that something terrible is happening or is going to happen unless they buy into your solution. Mm. So it kind of is formulaic, right? Like X terrible thing will happen unless Y, you do what I say, buy my thing, mm -hmm. right? And there's really interesting examples of fear-based marketing. But in healthcare, they get to be just like really manipulative like we were talking about before. And so I'll use the example that I always use in ethics class, but let me preface it by saying that I love chiropractors. So this is so rare. Like this is probably the only instance of this happening. I found this wild brochure online that pretty much said it related subluxations to AIDS or Alzheimer's. It actually used those words. Like it's bad as these things. And if you don't get adjusted, who knows what will happen to the progression? It was a very negative discussion of a well, subluxation could just mean, oh, you need to be adjusted. Like you're going to live. <laughs> right. But their outcome was only chiropractors can help you with this thing. And if you don't come to see us, 
we're really worried about the future of your health. So obviously this is incredibly rare. Like it doesn't get used very often. If it's even hard to find examples of this anymore. I think this brochure was probably from the early 90s. But that is a really acute example of using fear-based marketing. You're literally scaring people <laughs> into coming to see you and trying to convince them that if they don't, bad things will happen. And you're the only person who can help them. So again, this is so extreme. I don't expect anyone in your audience to be like, darn, I was planning on using that and now I won't do it. <laughs> but in the ethics class, we talk through it. Yeah. Maybe that was a popular way of marketing at one point. I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. Like you said, that's an older brochure. I'm just thinking, oh my God, I have a bunch of terrified people walking into my clinic. I wouldn't want to work there. Right. It's a weird angle. The thing is that historically fear-based marketing in the research is very successful. It has a really high ROI. And so that's why people have used it in the past. But I mean, this is a good discussion to have about marketing because it can feel gross, right? And so that's what people are worried about. But these are the extremes, mm -hmm. right? And there's so much wonderful space in between in marketing where you can share your message in such an authentic and honest way Yeah, that doesn't feel pushy. So, you know, this is just one extreme. In the work that you've done with folks, because a lot of us do have this concern, oh my God, I hope I don't come across as a smarmy marketer. Mm -hmm. They probably won't. Well, is it possible, you know, we all have a shadow side and we all have stuff we're not quite aware of. And we've all got our own fears. Oh God, I hope I can fill up my clinic spaces. Right? That's all, I mean, that's all in there. It's part of the soup. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there is a part of us that might need to take kind of a personal inventory. It's like, oh, I hope I'm not being a smarmy, pushy marketer. Well, maybe there are places where I'm doing that. Maybe I need to look and see where I'm not as authentic as I could be. Or maybe I am working the fear angle because I'm afraid that I'm not going to have business and, and fear is creeping in into my marketing messages. Do you see any of that with the people that you're working with? Or am I just making up a theory and it doesn't hold any water whatsoever? Well, I mean, I think if people are worried, then doing like a self-audit is always a great idea. And I would say simply ask yourself and try, this sounds hokey, but feel into your body when you think about the kinds of marketing you're doing. Do you have a visceral resistance to anything that you are producing in a marketing context? Some people, for example, use Instagram or TikTok because they feel like they have to. And they're, they're not using it in a, a smarmy way, but it is not really aligned with the way that they would prefer to show up in the world. They're just doing it because some influencer was like, TikTok is where it's at. And if you don't do it, your practice will fail. Like if it doesn't feel aligned emotionally with how you want to show up or how you want people to view you, then I would consider shifting towards the marketing that does work for you. And something I always emphasize to my students is you do not have to do marketing that you don't like, which should be obvious, but we honestly feel like we have to do whatever the internet says to do, right? Like I will fail if I don't make a TikTok account or whatever it is. But the truth is there's so, so many different ways to get visible in your community. You just have to experiment a little and see what feels 
aligned and ask yourself, what could I do consistently over time? And it's got to be something that feels good enough that you can do it repeatedly because we were talking about how important that repetition is. And sort of think about it like an experiment. Try to find one or two marketing avenues that you can stick to in the long run because they do feel lined up with how you want to show up in your community. And then eliminate anything that kind of feels questionable to you. That's really good advice. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Then you're working out of your strength and you're working out of your congruence. Absolutely. That's a good way to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And it'll come through in your messages. Yes, I was just going to say that. The people receiving it, they may not know consciously, but they'll know. They'll know. Yeah, I have dipped my toes into various marketing things here and there again, not because I'm trying to be a smarmy dude, but because, oh, I think I'm supposed to do this and I don't know how to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure I even want to do it, but I, you know, I should probably give it a try. And sometimes it was a half-ass try. And sometimes it was an all-in try, like with my website, all in, both feet, yeah. like dive head first. Yeah. And that pays off, I think. Mm-hmm. At least it has for me. But yeah, whatever channels you choose, it's a place where you can inhabit it in an authentic way. That really rings true for me. You were saying there's lots of different ways, Mm -hmm. so many different ways to market. Um, We're getting close to to our end spot here, and we're going to have to land this plane in a few minutes. But, you know, we've been talking about the big thing, you know, websites, social media, you know, networking events. Do you have other thoughts, maybe some wacky ways or channels that people don't use so much that you've seen your students use that have been effective? Well, one thing I think that's really effective that we haven't talked about are things like Google ads and Facebook ads. I mean, Facebook ads can be quite a beast, right? So I would say only begin with Facebook ads if you are willing to jump in with both feet. Personally, I'm obsessed with postcard marketing and trying to get it right. Really? Postcard marketing? Okay, Michelle, that's like from the 1920s, right? Yeah. What I love about it personally is I love graphic design. So I'm all in with designing these postcards. And I really get to lean into the psychology behind it. Now, most postcard marketing is only effective if you are going to send out multiple rounds of postcards to the same people. It's like introducing yourself to a new person and then sharing some more information and then maybe making them an offer, right? Or having a call to action. And so this is something in my practice I have never really been able to get right. And I just really enjoy continuously chipping away at it. So I would say that's an unusual avenue that I think can work really well. But it takes a deep dive with both feet, like you were saying. So it sounds like you're still in the midst of really tuning that one up for yourself, but you're in it Mm -hmm. and you're working it and you're iterating and you're learning. Yes, all about the iteration. Well, iteration and repetition, that'll get you successful practice if you just keep at it. (laughs) Yeah. Over time, right? Compound interest. Yeah, yeah. How would you say so far the ROI has been for you on the postcards other than it's fun and interesting for you? That's a good enough reason to do it in my book. Mm -hmm. Like, let's see where it goes. That's a reasonable thing to do and give that experiment time to run. Mm Mm-hmm. But in terms of like your phone ringing and patients coming in, what's your ROI so far? I understand you're in the middle of it. So I do have a like a single postcard 
mailing, I guess you would call it. It's not associated with this series of postcards. And so it's patient reactivation postcards. Mm. So the ROI for that is quite good. I mean, they always say that it's eight times easier to reactivate a former patient or client than it is to convince someone new to start with you, right? So these postcards basically say, we haven't seen you in a while. We miss you. Do you need an acupuncture tune-up? And then we list a couple symptoms that we usually see people for. And then we send them to people that we haven't seen in. It kind of varies. I like to look through the patient list and identify based on, sometimes people say they're going to come back for a specific reason, and then they don't. And you're like, oh, it's okay. It's only been three weeks. You can send them something. But other people, you're like, give them a little bit longer. They said they'd be back for X, Y, Z reason. So I like to send them out when I haven't seen people between like four weeks and eight weeks. Wow, you're really on it. Yeah. I hadn't done this for a while. So my office manager and I went through and we picked out 40 people recently and sent out those postcards. And so talking about ROI, I think one was returned and then we got four patients on the schedule from that. The postcards to print them cost $16.50. For how many postcards? For 50 postcards, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then stamps to mail 40 of them. I think postcard stamps are 30 cents each. I believe it costs about $32 to send these out. And then I got four patients who came back, Mm -hmm. which was $300, I think. So, I mean, that's an astronomical ROI. And I think that is really pretty accessible for most people patient reactivation postcards. They don't have to be complicated, they don't have to be fancy. Just reminding people, like, hey, acupuncture is super. You probably meant to come back. (laughs) How about now? (laughs) Okay. Postcards. That's old school. I hadn't even thought of that. But I love postcards. You know, I love it when people send me a postcard. Hey, I listen to the podcast. Here's a picture where I listen to it. I love it. Postcards, like fun postcards are fun to get. Yes. Hmm. Which is partly why I chose to make my postcards kind of cute. We actually say on there, we miss you. Mm-hmm. Like it's been a while. And I guess you could play with different marketing messages as well. Yes. And then see what the ROI, you know, which one got more bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do like blanket mass mailing? Like we're going to send to this zip code. You ever do that kind of postcard marketing? We're in the process of that. Yeah. Uh huh. Super old school. Yeah. You probably have some kind of discount offer, so you'll be able to track who's who's responding from the postcard. Yep. The primary reason that I felt inspired to do that sort of zip code mailing approach was that so now I live in the community where my practice is located. You're no longer an hour away from work. Correct. Yeah. A nine-minute walk to my office building. It's amazing. And so just for exercise, I will just walk around my community. And I'm walking by these houses and just thinking that like all of these wonderful people live here and I pass their house every day and they have no idea that my business exists. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, we need to get in front of them. How will we do that? Let's try postcard mailing. Let's make a spreadsheet of 100 homes within a quarter mile radius of the office and just start letting them know that we are around the corner and we'd love to support them. Love it. So that's, I feel excited about that. 
these are real people in my community. Yes. Yeah, you're going to reach out to them. Very similar prospecting kind of thing that you were talking about earlier with mm -hmm. the social media, except you're actually walking around your neighborhood and like, oh, I'd like to see them. Yeah. They might be interesting people. They should know about me. We're around the corner. There's a great, what a great line. We're around the corner. We are just as local as you are. We're just as, yeah, those are great. What great opening lines. Yeah. Look at that. Marketing is fun. It can be. Yeah, it can be. I completely agree. It can be fun. If, if we are working out of our authenticity mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to be wildly creative. Yes. And we can push the edges on who we think we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Great. Well, Michelle, let us know how we can find you. It sounds like your services could be useful to folks that, especially if they've listened today and they think, wow, I'd like to talk to Michelle. Maybe I could get some help. Where would they find you? My website is michellegrassick.com. I have a podcast called Acupuncture Marketing School. And then I'm on Instagram at michellegrassick. Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. You've heard me say this before, and you'll likely hear me say it again in the future. The business side of our practices is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. We are fortunate that we live in a society and that we personally have the capacity to create the life that we want from the bottom up. For sure, doing business requires a different set of skills than knowing where to place a few effective needles and Yet, like our work in clinic, it's about problem solving, about being able to assess a situation and know what action to take. And when it comes to marketing, it's an opportunity to look at how we communicate the work that we do to the world. It will, over time, require that you learn how to speak about our medicine in a language that our patients understand. And that is not a bad thing. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.